Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man, the best podcast to break down hard-hitting dialogue such as, didn't your teachers ever tell you hay is for horses? Here to provide analysis for that line and so much more is my friend Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? Uh, I'm doing good. I finished conducting a seventh grade concert, ready to podcast. This is fairly low stakes for me, so I'm not... Just seventh graders? Just seventh graders. Choir, band, and orchestra, you know? We hit the big three. No, I was uh, I was homesick today. I'm on. Uh, I got 24 hours left of quarantining, so I, Uh-oh. I yeah, my voice is gonna make it through this no problem. But I'm not gonna be a hundred percent. Apparently, if I'm one day left of quarantining, I'm gonna be at 80 <laughs> percent. Yeah, so. if we're counting it by days, quarantine, then you would be correct. Now, it's come to my attention, oh, from you, that the three books we're covering today. You didn't actually read one of them. This is correct. Yes, this is quite a faux pas. I have just been so busy that I forgot about uh, this Defenders book we're we're doing. So you're going to have to help me out big time here, James B. Okay, so I'm going to do the summary. And you can... I broke it into three paragraphs. If you're looking at the show notes, you yes. can just ask a question in between and then it'll seem like you care. Okay? Sounds good. All right, why don't you at least do the intro for us? From July of 1978, The Defenders, number 61, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Lunatic, by Kraft, Hannigan, and Lubbers. Hellcat is performing tricks with her shadow cloak, demonstrating its uses in front of Hulk, Nighthawk, Valkyrie, and Dollar Bill. Dollar Bill shows them the Daily Bugle front page, Campus Killings, Lunatic Still at Large. Uh, Lunatic is a vigilante who cannot tell the difference between a drug dealer and a litter bug. So they consult the drama professor, Turk, at ESU, who suggests that Lunatic would love to lay his hands on a criminal like Spider-Man. Erecting a statue of Spider-Man would attract the attention of both Spidey and Lunatic. Dollar Bill calls Turk a genius for this idea, and Professor Turk thanks him for the compliment. And I'll tell you, Eddie, his smile seems very sinister. It most certainly does. There's a lot of lines from Hulk in this beginning part of the book. He seems like a real liability um, in The Defenders because he gets very angry very quickly at several things that happen. Do you feel like that's the same, James B.? Yes, I cut out the whole section in the beginning where uh, she does all these tricks and Hulk gets super furious and marches off and and jumps away. Yes, he has a... Real hard time with this. Yeah, I don't know if he's the appropriate member for said, said team, but, well, you know, maybe it's maybe it's calm him down a little bit. Uh, let me know what happens next, James B. Well, the reason we're doing Defender 61 is because J. Jonah Jameson instructs Peter Parker to head towards Empire State University to cover the statue's unveiling. Joe Robbie, see, look at all the characters we've got going on here, explains <laughs> that Jonah expects both Spider-Man and Lunatic to be present at the morning ceremony. Jonah explains that he wants photos of Spider-Man and Lunatic. He expects them to be working together behind the scenes. After accidentally webbing up Hellcat, Spidey knows the Defender's plan. Some students come by to see the statue and they call Spider-Man a no-class loser, a jerk, and a sellout. Any uh, questions about the second part there, Eddie? Why? Why? I mean, I know we need the obligatory hero battle, but can you tell me why does Hellcat need to be webbed to the wall? Spider-Man is swinging in and he thinks like, oh no, there's somebody following me or something. And he just shoots his web. And the next panel, it shows that she's stuck to the wall. And she even says at one point, like, 
how long am I here for? And he's like, it'll wear off in an hour. Don't even get me started on that. And then they just talk for an hour until it wears off. And then he knows the whole plan, what's going on. I think he did that on purpose. A a random web shooting? That seems dangerous. (laughs) Lunatic, who is crazy like the Joker from Gotham, arrives and manages to knock out Aragon, which is like Valkyrie's flying horse, uh, during the fight. So like Valkyrie's falling and the horse is falling and I think somebody's on her back at probably like Nighthawk and they're all like falling. So Spidey so all of a sudden like webs up an area large enough to catch like the horse and all the people. And while he does that, like Lunatic just gets away. And then they're like, oh, let's look at the statue. And they open, and they like pull down the curtain and it's like a crazy modernistic looking Spider-Man and Spider-Man doesn't like it. It is wild. It kind of looks like a demented Iron Man Spider-Man or something like that. Uh, James B., this guy, Dollar Bill. I just don't know the Defenders too much. What's his deal? Who is he? Why is um, he here? If this w- sure. If this was like in the Fantastic Four, they've got like that guy Wyatt Wingfoot who hangs out with them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like in Spider-Man's world, the closest it would be would be like how Flash Thompson like sometimes gets involved <laughs> in these fights for no reason at all with him. Yes, yes. Dollar Bill's like some kind of producer, like a producer, like he makes movies and such. Yes, he says he's going to start shooting here. And I'm like, does this man have guns? But that must be film and cameras then. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he is. He's, he hangs out with them. He's just, you got to have some like civilians around to to be like regular people. You know, it's just what you do. So, all right. Well, thanks for entertaining us through that book. And I don't know if you feel bad that you didn't I read it or you didn't do, read it. Do I drop the ball? I don't usually do that. But thank you for that lovely summary, James B. All right. Well, the other two books we both read, and this one is from September of 1978, The Amazing Spider-Man 184, White Dragon, Red Death, written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by Ross Andrew, and inks by Frank Iacoya. At the end of the previous Amazing Spider-Man issue, it appeared the notorious Mrs. Muggins had let a villain into Peter's apartment. It is revealed to be... Betty Brant. Yeah, Betty was not someone I expected to see, but the writers do like to throw women at Peter whenever he's having trouble with another woman. MJ was an interfering distraction when he was with Gwen Stacy, if you remember. Yes. And then when he was with MJ, the Gwen clone appeared. By the way, I thought the Gwen clone was what we're going to find in this room. Ah. Uh, uh, anyway, I think Wolfman does a good job here. I like it better when Peter has women trouble. The question is, is Betty really here for Peter? Ah, uh, yes. Well, Betty and Ned weren't doing so well in Paris, so Betty left to rekindle an old love with Peter while she begins a new life. Uh, James B., I'm so upset. MJ took 30 issues to appear, and now it took her half an issue to disappear. You can't just write Mary Jane out like that, but... Speaking of love, J. Jonah and Marla are visiting his cryogenically frozen son, which I'm like, when did John Jameson get cryogenically frozen? But when J. Jonah learns from a fifth-rate Schwarzer, sorry, refers to the doctor um, talking to him, that there's nothing they can do to help his son um, be revived. Yeah, we've you and I have read a couple books ahead, so this cryogenically frozen situation will be told to us in a future issue that it happened in the past. But now we don't really understand this either uh, as a reader. Anyone who's reading this is like, what are you talking about? Yeah. But 
Uh, John Jameson's been through a lot, Eddie. For those less familiar, remember he's been an astronaut, yes. a government agent, a superhero, and he's been uh, Man Wolf, which is the biggest problem. I think it would be okay even if you didn't know when they did this that whenever we last saw him or he ever was anywhere, somebody's probably trying to find a cure. And whenever you don't have a cure, you cryogenically freeze up, right? Isn't that what you did? <laughs> that's that's the only way, right? The, the kingpin tried to do something similar. So back at ESU, Betty is tagging along as Peter heads to graduation. With a little encouragement from Betty, Peter tries cheering up a soon-to-be fellow alumni, the gloomy Philip Chang, only to have his head almost karate chopped off. The overwrought Philip runs off to be alone. Later, Spidey sees a chair thrown through a window, which results in Spider-Man breaking up an attempted extortion from a shopkeeper in Chinatown. After webbing up the gang, Spidey calls the police for the elderly owner, but the owner hangs the phone up as the narrator informs us that outsiders do not interfere with business in Chinatown. While he's hanging out in Chinatown, Peter decides to grab a bite with Betty. All right, so I'm going to read to you something that I put in the show notes. It says, Peter goes, Hi, Betty. Waiting for me long? Betty says, Only my whole life. Really coming out strong here, isn't she? Mm. Hey, I also want to point out that the book does an amazing job dealing with Peter's uncertainty for his feelings for Betty. He knows he isn't into her, but he continually says, but maybe or if. Uh, I'm dead serious. It's so good. They do they do such a good job of... Because he could just be like, oh, no, I'm in love with Mary right, Jane. Or right. he could be like, oh, well, Mary Jane. But he's he's constantly rethinking it. And he's saying everything that we'd be thinking. Yeah, he's I, like, well, she, you know, she left me. But but maybe this is meant to be in the first place. And, of course, it's not. Oh, it's so good. It's so, so Yeah, good. at some point he says, well, they say your first love is your true love. And there's, lo- there's plenty of lines. I agree. I like that part, too, James B. Well, out with, with Betty, he bumps into Philip Chang again. As Peter is telling Philip he's in danger, he is gassed by the White Dragon and kidnapped. Let's talk about White Dragon's outfit here. Uh, you know the saying, you can't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> James B., this outfit, all right, are we going to say he's in like a white jumpsuit with some kind of fiery claws and along the sides? But I find the le- the most annoying part is that we can't really see his eyes. We can only see like the lower half of his face. And this dragon snout is hanging over his eyebrows. And this is the snout that that shoots all the things out that he needs. It's a terrible outfit. I I actually like the outfit. What? No really? Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's cool. <laughs> Horrible. Anyway, Spidey gives chase and catches up with White Dragon in a mannequin factory only to be scratched while fighting by the dragon's claws. Spidey succumbs to the poison in the claws and goes unconscious. We end with Spidey chained and falling into a vat of flaming oil. Uh, Wow, do things look bad for Spidey at the end of this issue. He's literally in the flaming oil. I really don't understand how he can get out of this scenario. This was crazy. To find out how he gets out of it, let's keep going then with from October of 1978, The Amazing Spider-Man 185, Spider, Spider, Burning Bright by Wolfman, Andrew, and Esposito. You know, only seven months ago, the Marvel team-up title was Tigra, Tigra, Burning Bright, which was a much better title. This is a lazy knockoff. Eddie, tell us what happens in this book. 
Uh, the cover of this book says it's Peter's graduation day, but he's busy in the bottom of a flaming tank of oil the white dragon dropped him into. Uh, let me explain how he gets out of this. With super strength, Spidey breaks his chains and webs up a fashionable, full-body, fire-retarded suit at the bottom of the oil tank. All right, the flaming oil tank. He springs out of the oil, still flaming, and manages to swing his way to the Hudson River, where he dives in and finally puts the flames out in the water. Amazing and dumb. This is this is dumber than your average Punisher fight for me. Oh, okay. Well, I learned that oil burns from the top down, right? That okay. So although we haven't covered Peter's graduation yet, as the cover shows us, <laughs> the book has so far been educational. Oh, wonderful. Well, White Dragon fears another confrontation with Spidey and flees with his fellow gang leaders, leaving the bound Philip Chang. Uh, honestly, I'd be pretty afraid of Spider-Man, considering he got out of a vat of flaming oil. Uh, Spidey returns to the factory where he frees Philip, and Philip gives him a backstory, culminating in the idea that he's a reformed troublemaker from Hong Kong. All right. Yeah, okay, hold on. I don't even care about this Philip Chang thing. No one does. But let's go back to what we, the listeners listened to you say, that while Spidey was in the bottom of an oil tank on fire... <laughs> He created a full-body fire retardant suit while he was in the oil. In the oil. Holding his breath, not... Eddie, if I gave you two pieces of bread and a piece of cheese, could you make a cheese sandwich while you were in the shower? In the shower? This guy's making an entire (laughs) suit while he's submerged in flaming oil. I can't even... I could barely discuss it. If You know, like... It's terrible. I tried to not even touch it. I didn't know what to do. But all right, go ahead and finish up your White Dragon story. All right, we catch back up with the White Dragon, who's giving a speech to all the gang leaders in Chinatown, kind of in broadish daylight. After killing a leader, he finds a spider tracer and realizes he can set a trap for Spider-Man. Remember, the spider tracers, James B., they conveniently look like a spider. (laughs) Uh, But he does a terrible job preparing for Spidey's arrival. Instead, Spidey manages to separate the gang factions with giant web walls, uh, giving him the chance to fight White Dragon by himself. Uh, The White Dragon puts up a good fight and manages to gas Spidey, but Spidey has his trusty nose filters. (laughs) Nose filters? Where have they been the last 185 issues, JP? Where? (laughs) Uh, and with that, White Dragon falls into one of Spidey's web walls and is defeated. You know, listeners, I want to let you guys know that I I think today, <laughs> doing episode 137, this is the point where uh, Eddie and I switched the good cop, bad cop role. Because the negativity from Eddie about <laughs> about these books is just... Guy. He's just... He doesn't like the costume. He doesn't, he doesn't like... The, he's complaining about the nose filters. It's just... Everything is a big problem, and I'm the only one seeing the positive things here. I like the White Dragon. I like the conflict with uh, you are uh, with Betty and stuff. All right, delusional you, with illness, James B. Here comes another one. Listen, listen. They created Eddie. They created a villain. I'm eighty percent good. Remember, they created a villain with a costume. 
he's ruthless enough to kill an opposing gang leader. In okay. broad daylight, he kills someone. Okay. He's smart enough to think, I'm going to set a trap. That was terrible. Yeah. Okay, yes. <laughs> but he's he's at least trying to set a trap. All right? True. Okay. Okay. I'm going to admit, this guy at the end, pretty forgettable. <laughs> not even a C-level villain. I get it. He's not, he's not that good. However, Eddie, we're going to talk about some people soon, and whether it's in this book or the next book's coming up, they're not going to be any better. You're going to be missing the white dragon. Man. Who, by the way, you type the word white tiger like every time I, in this summer. I know. I didn't, I, you know, like I said, it shows how forgettable he is, really. <laughs> uh, you, that's, that, that's true. You, for, you forget his name, like, in the, <laughs> while you're typing the notes, you forget his name. If you forget a guy mid-issue, it's, he's not that, he's, <laughs> it's almost over. Hey, the book has a little ending, right? Yes, it does. Uh, it's not over. Joe Roberty is visiting Aunt May with a TV so that she can watch her dear nephew graduate live. Some kind of thing at the Bugle that Joe Robbie managed to hook, managed to hook up just for Aunt May. Uh, but although Flash, Harry, and Betty show up to see him walk in person for his diploma, he is one credit short, and so he doesn't graduate. I'm still rather bitter about where MJ is. Like, Betty Branth just enters the scene, and... She's supposed to marry Peter, and she's a main character, and then there's no mention of her at all, of, like, in this book. It bothers me. Yes, yes, I know. The glass is half empty. <laughs> Eddie, The Amazing Spider-Man 185 was the 300th comic book that you and I have summarized oh and goodness. podcasted about. Well, 300. All right, so... Do some math here. We're looking at... Uh, I hate doing math. You're going to have to do this. <laughs> All right, so I'm just telling you about... We're at, we're at we're on a clip of like in four years, we'll have a thousand books done. So, you know, we, I think we're on a seven or eight year plan to finish this whole thing off. Well, the, I know people have these big ideas. Oh, I'm going to be doing this for 30 years. I think we need about eight. So about I, seven I, more years. I know we regularly talk about this. And even when the books are bad, I am I still read them through and I'm delighted to be reading so much Spider-Man. Yeah, okay, so. well... You read some of the books through, apparently. Sometimes <laughs> That's true. take, take a book completely off. <laughs> it's not so. a Spider-Man book. That's why I forgot. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> it's fine. Eddie, today's sponsor is White Dragon's Sweet and Sour Chicken Frozen Dinners. Eddie, most sweet and sour chicken is batter fried in oil. White Dragon's Sweet and Sour Chicken cooks in flaming oil vats where the chicken and enemy body stay below the flame so they don't get overcooked. That's just one of the White Dragon secrets. Uh, we can't tell you the others because it'd be secrets, you know. But we can tell you that you get all this and you can get all the White Dragon frozen chicken meals in the freezer section of your local grocer, Erin Wawa's. Check them out today. Well, I can't wait to have some chicken, but I believe you said enemy bodies in the vats of oil. That sounds... Illegal on many, many levels, James B. Well, I'm just reading the copy here, but all I can tell you is flavorful. <laughs> the, fl okay. the, fl the essence of Flaming Spider-Man. Yeah, and do you really want to have batter fried in oil? Is that really what you want? It can get overcooked. You, ever, you know how you're like, oh, my frozen sweet and sour chicken, it's overcooked. Like, you don't, you want to make sure the chicken tastes fresh. And this is... The secret ingredients from White Dragon, I mean, Eddie, it's the freshest chicken. 
it's it's good stuff. Please check it out, and I encourage our listeners to as well. I'll uh, yeah, I'll get one. (laughs) Is there anything else that we need to cover here? That that something. Looking back at the, I know the two books you read. I know I'm teasing you about this, but. I, a, I think the first book I wanted to include it because there's a Spider-Man statue in it. I thought that was, kind of, you know. Let, let it be known. It says Peter only needs one credit to graduate. So he needs one class. So the good news for Peter here should be he doesn't have to go to school anymore. That, it's like over if he just needs one credit, right? Correct. It's a gym class too. Yeah, no problem. There's like This is a huge problem constantly for him. So he's It says they've been calling us. They've been calling his house, but he hasn't been picking up the messages, and he blames it on, like, Rocket Racer and all those guys. So, there you go. Find your price. He also, go, he also goes through quite an ordeal, uh, listeners, where he, they chose him, like, trying to get a, a gown and a seat, and he goes through all that stuff. Like, you know, it should be obvious something's wrong, yes. but he goes through this whole ordeal, and then he realizes, and Aunt May, they brush over it in the next issue. It's not as big a deal. It should be a much bigger deal to her, but they sort of, you know, she's an old lady, and she just sort of accepts it. Yeah. So. She's in the hospital. Um, she doesn't feel well either, James B. So, If people want to write in and give your condolences to you for being such a grouch, uh, how can they reach you? You can email us anytime at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com. Or I guess you could probably find us still on Twitter at Let's Read Spidey. Yeah, we're out there. I mean, I'll see it. And now it's time for the close. I'm James B. Joined by Eddie. And remember, listeners, if you've been gassed and knocked out from gas by villains such as the Green Goblin, Kingpin, Crime Master, Doc, Ock, Vulture, Mysterio, Electro, finally, maybe the time you face a C-level villain like White Dragon, you'll remember to have those nose filters. Goodbye. Goodbye. Sometimes has a little gas mask. It's true. And he's had a, a webbed, like a temporary made up web gas mask too. Atrocious. But he was wearing these like, he had built this like into his costume now, right? That's kind it's, of the, it's in I got the nostril. premise that like now this is like a permanent thing. He's like, oh yeah, I got these in now. Now you can't stop me. It's only one of two re- totally ridiculous scenarios in this book. The first one being jumping out of the oil. Actually, no, I take that back. The one... <laughs> The quote trap that White Dragon set him. Uh, James B., it's like there's they're on a city block and Spider-Man is webbed up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven web barriers between the buildings, allowing him to fight White Dragon without any of the other gangs intervening. Which of the two major problems do you have with the scenario of Spider-Man webbing up Giant webs between city blocks. I don't know which way you're going to complain about this. So, which one? It, how, first of all, it took like White Dragon's having a meeting. What are these guys doing while he's like? <laughs> Apparently, they're spread out in such a way that Spider-Man can separate them all from White Dragon too. Doesn't make any sense. But what, is your issue that he's making these giant webs all over the city? Yes, the like quantity of time and like how they conveniently are in between them. It's just like White Dragon had the jump on him. He knew he was coming. And what did he do? Uh, Nothing. There is no plan. I think the problem I actually have with it is that if you could picture this, the fact that he's got city blocks with giant webs between them, like he's really causing a lot of turmoil (laughs) in New York City. Like there's people you can't get from place to place when he's 
you know, taking out fourth, fourth Avenue and, you know, fifth street, like they just, they're people can't walk. You can't like, Oh, where, yeah. cause remember the criminals can't get out of the area. He's, it's like fire doors now. Yeah, like nobody they're stuck can. Here. So. Right. Taxis can't drive down the street. People can't go to work. People can't return from work. Kids can't get home to their families. I think that's the bigger issue. Like Spider-Man's like, Hey, for the next hour, yeah. everybody, sorry, but I've got to separate all these karate chop because Spider-Man is now concerned about henchmen. He doesn't want to face the white dragon with the henchmen. Even though they will, he will gain power when he's getting beat up by them. <laughs> yeah. This is the karate era. Yes. Huh? We're still, we're still in it. We're still, everybody's got. Yeah, Philip Chang tries to take his head off with yeah, a, a swift karate chop. 